worship you. We praise you. We pray that you would strengthen our hearts to know your love, to remember how good you have been to us. And we pray that our hearts would overflow with gratitude towards you. Help us now as we look into your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Every year around Thanksgiving, in fact, I, this is now my 10th year here, every year that I've been here around Thanksgiving, we have done a sermon series in the book of Psalms. Uh, there's a lot of material to work with there, 150 chapters in the book of Psalms, so uh, we're maybe about a fifth of the way through in 10 years, so we're getting there. But uh, The reason I do this every year is because my heart needs a reminder, and I think it's good for all of us to have a reminder of how good God is, how worthy of glory and thanks and majesty and praise He is. Have you been thankful this year? As you look back at this last year of your life, would you say that it is one in which you have given God the glory and the worship that He deserves? It's so easy for us to lose sight of God in the midst of our busy lives, but, but being thankful has a way of helping us be on the right track. In fact, I, I've thought of four different ways, and there's probably more, four different ways that we could get off track. One would be that our lives would just get so busy. That, have you ever found yourself saying, oh, I'm just so busy, I don't have time for praising God? Or maybe it's been a really hard year for you. Maybe some of you have gone through some awful things, and, and maybe one of the results of that is that you have felt some distance between you and God because it's so easy for us to focus on those things that go wrong. Or ironically, a third way that we can stray away from God is if things are going really well. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when, when we enjoy life, when we are experiencing a lot of good things, that we can forget that God is the giver of those good gifts and that we just enjoy the good things and forget about God? And then one other way that we can stray away from God is through temptation. Uh, has this been a year where your heart has gone after idols, other gods, sin, and you've forgotten to worship God? Well, being thankful is a corrective for any of those. I think, and I try to say this every year, some of you could probably say it with me, but a thankful heart is a heart that stays close to God. And that's why we do this series every year, just for us to, to take a, a temperature reading on our hearts. How close is your heart to God? How eager are you to give him worship and praise? So we are going to intentionally set our eyes on God to give him worship and praise and thanks. And, and the theme of my, psalm, my, my sermon today is worship. Um, so overall, this sermon series is on giving thanks, and one of the best ways to give thanks is to worship God. So today we're going to focus on worship. In the coming weeks, we're going to look at words like thanks and praise in the book of Psalms. Um, the reason I chose worship as the theme for today's sermon is in large part because of the Revelation sermon series that we did this year. We spent about nine months in the book of Revelation. For those of you that are visiting, uh, that's what we did for most of this year. We walked through the book of Revelation. And uh, pop quiz, what was my theme in the book of Revelation? Worship. All right, you guys got it. Okay. I, I just think that what we see in Revelation is so often people giving praise and glory to God because he's worthy. And 
sadly, what we see in the book of Revelation is that those who aren't worshipping God end up worshipping the, the beast of Satan. So, really, there are, in, in the book of Revelation, there are only two camps of people. There are those who are worshipping God, and there are those who are following Satan's path. Or here's another way that we could think about worship. In the book of John, I'm going to put a, a verse up here, John 4:23. Jesus told us that the Father is seeking worshipers. Isn't, isn't this cool? The, you think about the Father in heaven, looking down on earth, and he is eagerly looking for people who will worship him. And what kind of worshipers is he looking for? People who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So will you be a worshiper? Will you give God the worship and praise that he is due? He is worthy of worship. We should give it to him. But something amazing happens in us when we worship God too. Do you know what happens when we worship God, when we give him the glory that he is due? He changes our hearts. When we enter into the presence of God, which by the way, we are invited through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are in, invited into the very presence of God. Remember in the Old Testament, in the temple, there was a curtain that separated the people from God, and there were, there were strict limitations put on, on when and who could go into that curtain and into the presence of God. But remember when Jesus died, that curtain in the temple was torn in two, symbolizing that we now have direct access to God. We are invited into his presence. Are you a person who takes up God on his invitation to enter into his presence and to worship? And then, like I said, once we're there, once we're meeting with God in worship and praising Him, He transforms our hearts. Here's a verse I love, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, that's a, a description of, of meeting with God, we are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, when we meet with God... He transforms our hearts to make us more like Jesus, and he does that with ever-increasing glory. Do you want that? Do you want that for your heart to become more like Jesus? Then let's be people who take up God on his invitation to, to enter into his presence. Let's be worshipers of God. Now, there are lots of different words for worship in the Psalms. Like I said, in the coming weeks, we're going to look at thanks and praise. But today, we're going to focus on the word worship. And the Psalm that I chose for this was Psalm 99. The word worship shows up in this Psalm twice. And the word, uh, there are different words for worship used in the Psalms, but the word that we see in Psalm 99 is the word that literally means bow down. It's the honor given to someone who is greater than we are. And then also in our psalm you'll see the word praise, and, and that's a word that uh, translates a word that means to give thanks, probably with our mouths that we would give thanks to God in worship of him. Okay, my big idea for today is that we have many reasons to worship God. And what we're going to do with today's passage, we're going to read through Psalm 99, and then I'm going to pick out seven reasons that I see in there why God is worthy of worship. Now, um, just a little tip into uh, what preachers expect of you. I don't expect you to rem remember all seven of these. In fact, over the week, I've tried to remember them all, just off the top of my head, and I sometimes have a hard time remembering them all. Uh, I have my notes here. I'm going to help, help me walk through them. But what I want you to do, I don't, I don't expect you to remember all seven. I would love for you, though, to pick one or two of these 
and, and carry it with you through the week as an emphasis of, pr- of praise and worship to God. So I'm going to tell you seven things that are true about God that are reasons for us to give him worship. And I just want you, as we're going through them, and I'll put them all up at the end, I want you to think about one or two of them that you can take with you that can encourage you towards worshiping him this week. Psalm 99. I'd like to read it. The Lord reigns. Let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion. He is exalted over all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. The king is mighty. He loves justice. You have established equity. In Jacob you have done what is just and right. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them from the pillar of cloud. They kept his statutes and the decrees he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. You were to Israel a forgiving God, though you punished their misdeeds. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. So the first of the seven reasons that I want to give you why God is worthy of worship is that God is holy. Three times in this psalm, in verses 3, 5, and 9, we're told that God is holy. There seems to be something in the Bible about this thrice-repeated word, holy. Uh, Maybe you're thinking of Isaiah 6, which I'll put up there right now, where it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Or I'm sure you're thinking of the one from Revelation that we went through in our Revelation, right? Every one of you is just thinking about that verse. But uh, In Revelation, we get this glimpse of the worship that happens in heaven, and here's one of the scenes in 4.8. It says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So God is holy. This has always been and always will be one of the great reasons to worship God. Even in, in Isaiah 6, it was the seraphs that were calling out holy, holy, holy. In Revelation 4, it was the four living creatures. These are people who spend time in God's presence and still and always they call out holy, holy, holy. It's a great reason to worship God. But let me ask you a question. What does the word holy mean? I want you to picture somebody coming up to you. Let's say it's uh, somebody who has just started reading the Bible and they say, I've just been starting to read the Bible and I see the word holy in there. What does it mean? So I want you to think, what would you say? What does the word holy mean? Well, the way that I like to think of the word holy is to think of two parts of it. The first part of it is that the word holy itself means set apart. It it means to be separate or distinct. And and certainly this is true of God. He He is high and exalted. He is the holy God. He is unique. And if you were to see him right now, you would immediately become aware of this part of him, of his holiness. But then also the word holy implies the perfection of God. God is holy in that he is perfect. He never sins, never has, never will. This is part of what makes him set apart. He's set apart in his perfection. So because God is set apart and is perfect, he is worthy of our worship. But let's think about this then. What kind of worship should we give to the God who is perfect and holy. Well, in the Bible, at least four times in the Bible, it says, God says, be holy because I am holy. So, the way that we should worship a holy God is to be holy ourselves. 
The theologian Michael Wilcox says the holy God requires holiness in his people. So I've got a couple of applications here of how we can worship God in his holiness. The first one, because God is holy, we should praise him. Now, all seven of these are reasons that we can praise God, and I'm not, I'm not going to keep repeating it every one of the seven times, but let's just think about this. God is holy, and what we can do to, to, to worship him is to thank him. With, with our mouths, we can sing to him, we can thank him, we can tell other people about his holiness and his perfection. That's one of the ways that we can worship the holy God. But then there's a second way that we can worship him as well. Because God is holy, we should pursue holiness. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Because God is holy, we should not contaminate ourselves with the things of this earth that would make us impure. There are sinful things that we should not do because they dishonor our holy God. Or positively speaking, the way that we can say it is there are holy things, things that God has prepared in advance for us to do, and he wants us to walk in them with purity. And in doing so, we honor and worship God. So remember, the, the word holy means set apart and perfect. And what that means then is that we should worship God by being set apart for him and, and fleeing from sin. And as we, seek, as we keep on seeking God like that, he will transform our hearts and he will make us even more holy. Okay, so that's reason number one to worship God. God is holy. Number two, God is exalted. I want to reread verse two here. Great is the Lord in Zion. He is exalted over all the nations. The word exalted means that God is above us, that he is superior to us, and we owe him reverence. Or you could say it this way, because God is exalted, we should exalt him. In fact, that's exactly what we're told to do. In verse 5 and in verse 9, it says, exalt the Lord our God. So to exalt him means to lift him up. Now here's a neat way to think about this. God is exalted, and I mentioned that the word worship in this psalm, which shows up twice in here, means to bow down. So we bow ourselves down, and in doing so, we lift God up. That, that's, a, that's the posture that we are to have, to recognize him as the exalted one, and we bow down in order to exalt him. And in all this, we recognize God as the great and awesome one. In, in verse 3, it talks about God's great and awesome name. And I just want to point out one of the words in that verse. The word awesome comes from the word for fear, that we are to fear God. And that's not just an Old Testament thing. At least seven times I've found in the New Testament it says also that we are to fear God. And to fear him, I think, means to, to recognize that he is high and exalted and holy and perfect. And I think that that's what the nations were recognizing in verse 1 when they trembled and when the earth was shaking. That to recognize God as awesome and fearful means that, that we wouldn't want to do anything that would put ourselves against him in any way. So we are to fear him. Uh, but then getting back to the word exalt, we'll get to our application here. Because God is exalted, we should lift him up. And I want to use John the Baptist as an illustration here of how we can exalt God. Remember John the Baptist? He knew that his ministry was to point ahead to somebody greater than him. Uh, John the Baptist was causing quite a stir, and you could even say that John the Baptist was making a pretty big name for himself 
But if you were to ask John the Baptist, I don't think that's how he would have said it. In fact, the, the picture that I have in my mind of John the Baptist is just of him pointing to Jesus. And I love how John the Baptist said in John 3.30, He must become greater, I must become less. God is exalted. We are to bow down and lift him up. Are you a person who lives to give glory to yourself? Or do you live to give glory to God? It's so easy to want to make ourselves look good. Isn't it? Have you ever noticed how much of our effort is extended in trying to make ourselves look good? Trying to make other people think well of us? Well, to exalt God means that we, we really stop caring about what we think about ourselves but more so that we would care about what people think of God and that we would lift him up and exalt him. Let's live to give worship and glory to God. Let's exalt him. Let's move on to number three. God reigns as king. This comes from verse one where it says, The Lord reigns. Let the nations tremble. And here I just want to make a very simple point. God is king and we are not Okay, are we all on board with that? Now, it's amazing how we can all say that we're on board with that, yet we all struggle to live like that. We all sometimes in our lives like to think that we are the king or the queen of our own lives and that we should live our lives according to what we want. We're tempted to think that we are the most important person in the world and that things should go our way. And if I could just be a social commentator for a moment, I think that that's why we're seeing so many protests Lately. I think we, we have this democratic process in our country where we collectively voted and the winner was declared. Yet there are some people who are saying, I didn't get my choice, so I'm going to be mad about it. And I, I think that we all, it's not just those protesters, we all struggle to think that we are more important. And when things don't go our way, we kind of sometimes kick and scream and fight about it because we think that things should go our way. But remember, we're not the king. We live here as servants of the one true king. And he reigns. And he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. You're welcome for not singing that. Um, but <laughs> so very simply, for application, because God is king, we should serve him. I heard this illustration of the way that it sometimes goes with kings it, so picture a king in his throne room, sitting on his throne, and, and picture like the, the back wall being lined with servants of the king. And those servants are trained to watch the king, and I, and I heard that there could be even just the slightest movement, like it could be just the king lifting one of his fingers. And what that means is that one of those servants in particular was supposed to recognize that one motion of the king, and if that lifting of the finger meant that the king wanted that servant to get him a drink, that, that servant's eyes were to be so trained on the king that he would, he would see that little motion and would go and get the king the drink that he wanted. Now, that's, to be, that, that's who we are to be. We are to be servants who are keeping our eyes on the king, living to do what he wants us to do. In fact, in the Old Testament, uh, there's a different word for worship. The, the one in our psalm today means to bow down, but there's a different word that, that means to serve. So one of the ways that we can worship our king is to serve him. So how do we do that? Daily life, how do we serve our king? Well, one of the great ways that we can serve our king is by serving others. 
So have you been taking opportunities to serve those around you? Are you even aware of those opportunities? And maybe that's one of your applications for the week, is to serve the king by serving those around you. Instead of demanding that people serve you, you can serve God by serving those around you. Number four, God is with us. There are four phrases in this psalm that might not stand out to you at first, but these four phrases show us an amazing thing, that the the holy, exalted king is with his people. Here are the four phrases. In verse 1, he sits enthroned between the cherubim. In verse 2, in Zion. In verse 5, at his footstool. And then verse 9, at his holy mountain. All four of those show God's willingness to dwell with his people. The, the one in verse 1 about God sitting between the cherubim and the one in verse 5 at his footstool should remind us of the temple in Jerusalem, the place where God chose to dwell, the place where God said, I will meet with you there. It's an amazing thing that the God of the universe would actually set up this place where he would meet with his people, but that's exactly what he did. And then in Zion and at his holy mountain should remind us of Jerusalem, the city in which God chose for his temple to be. All four of those remind us that God is pleased to dwell with his people. Now, like I mentioned before, in the Old Testament, there was a temple and there was a curtain there and there were limitations. But now, because of the blood of Jesus, that that curtain has been torn and the truth of God with us is even more amazing. Because if you think about it, in the Old Testament, what were the people supposed to do? They were supposed to go to the temple and worship there. They were supposed to bring their sacrifices there and worship there. Where is the there in the New Testament? Where is the place that we are now supposed to worship God? In our hearts, because that is where God now dwells. In, in John chapter 14, we see that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit make their home with those who believe in Jesus. It's an amazing truth that this holy God who reigns as the King of the universe would choose to make his home with us, but that's exactly what he does. God is with us. And as I have said repeatedly over the last couple of years, and I still believe it, that the blessing of God with us is the biggest blessing that we have in the Bible. So what should we do with that? Application? Because God is with us, we should be with him. God offers us a life where we can walk around with him, where we can do life with him. We have been invited into his presence. Let's be people who regularly seek God. So we seek him in his word. We seek Him in prayer. We seek Him in fellowship with other believers like we're doing here today. We, we seek Him by worshiping Him. But let's be people who regularly enter into the presence of God to meet with Him and to worship Him and to do our whole lives with Him. Number five. God does what is just and right. In verse four it says, The king is mighty. He loves justice. You have established equity. In Jacob you have done what is just and right. There are several words in here that all get at this idea of God doing what is good. Have you ever heard of the problem of good? You maybe have heard of the problem of evil, right? Um, The problem of evil goes like this. Some people use it as an accusation against God. The fact that there's evil in this world, they say, shows us that there isn't a good and loving God. 
Now, I don't have time to, to answer that one fully, except to say that I think that God has a reason for allowing evil in this world. And he's also told us about the perfect place, heaven, that he invites us to live with him if we receive Jesus by faith. But have you ever heard of the problem of good? It's an interesting one, and it's actually a pretty strong um, apologetic for the existence of God. Here's how it goes. Because there is such a thing as good in this world, it's hard to understand where good came from unless there is a good God. So let me just walk you through this a little bit. Uh, we'll use an example here. Let's say, let's say you have a friend who is a really ardent atheist, just, you know, all the time trying to remind you, as he believes, that there is no God. And let's say that you go up to your friend one day and you steal his wallet. Um, he's probably going to get fairly upset at you, right? And if you were to ask him why he would get upset with you, he might suggest to you that you have broken some moral rule. But then you could say, where did that moral rule come from? And, and there are answers that people try to give to this, but without God, it's hard to, hard to come up with an idea for where the idea of good comes. And we all know that there is such a thing as goodness. Even the worst person in the world knows how to feed their cat, right? Okay, that's, that's the analogy I like to use. Even the worst person in the world knows how to be good to his friends. So where does this good come from? And I don't have time to dive into all of the, uh, the nuances of this argument, but any answer that you give, except for the fact that there is a good God, falls short. God does what is just and right. That's who he is. And he has created us in his image. Now, that doesn't mean that we are perfectly good and just, but it means that within every single one of us, we have this idea of good. So that if somebody steals your wallet, you know they've done something wrong because God has told us, thou shalt not steal. It's a pretty fascinating thing that, that God is good and we are created in his image. And, and therefore, we should be good people as well. And, and what I love about God is that he isn't just kind of good. In Psalm 145, it says that he is loving toward all he has made. Or John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. God, who saw all the wickedness of the world, of people rebelling against him, how did he respond? He responded with the most loving act this world has ever seen in sending his Son to die on the cross for our sins. Okay, so in this verse, verse 4, we get a clue for how we can worship the God who loves justice. And here's the application. Because God loves justice, we should act justly. Because he's good, we should be good. Uh, now, I, I was thinking about this. God loves justice. Let me use an illustration here to explain something to you. Husbands, I'm going to try to help you out here a little bit, although it might be too late. I apologize. I should have done this like three months ago. Um, if your wife tells you that she loves something, she may be giving you a hint, i.e. she wants you to get that for her for Christmas. Now, uh, I'll just say to the wives, if you tell us that in June, we might forget. But, um, husbands, take note, when your wife says that she loves something, if she tells you that she loves flowers, then maybe you should get her flowers occasionally. Or if she loves back rubs, send her to somebody who gives a good back rub. <laughs> <laughs> or if she loves it when you cook, or when you take the kids to the park. should do those things for... Not that we just are 
do whatever she wants for us at all times, but that we should figure out what she likes and do those things for her. Now with God, look at what it says here. We're, we're given a clue. It's like God is telling us what to get him for Christmas or every day of the year. God loves justice. So we should act with justice. So, how do you do with this? Do you treat people fairly? Do you treat people the way that a good God wants you to treat them? It's so easy for us to want other people to treat us fairly. We can spend a lot of our energy uh, complaining about people not treating us fairly, but do you actively seek to treat other people well, to act with justice in all that you do? Let's not just think about our own interests. Let's think about the interests of others, and let's, let's act with goodness and justice toward them. Number six. God answers his people. I'm going to reread verses six through eight A here. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them from the pillar of cloud. They kept his statutes and the decrees he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. These verses show how it should work, an emphasis on the should. Here, God's people were seeking him, Moses and Aaron and Samuel. But it's not just for them. Uh, in the New Testament, we're, we're all, all of us who know Jesus are priests of God. So we should all be calling on God's name. And like it says also in verse 7, that we should be keeping God's statutes and decrees. We should be listening to his word and seeking to live according to his ways. And when we do that, God actually listens to us and answers us. But there's a flip side to this. If we don't seek God and live according to his ways, he doesn't have to answer us. In Psalm 66, 18, this is kind of a stunning verse. It says, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Do you get that? God does not have to listen to your prayers. If all you're thinking about is yourself or the sinful things that you can do, God doesn't have to listen to your prayers. So we have two options. Either we reject God and go our own way, but if we do so, we shouldn't, respect, we shouldn't expect God to listen to us. It, it's kind of funny. I've been reading in Jeremiah, and in Jeremiah 2, the, the people of Israel were serving idols. That's not the funny part. But, um, they, were, they were going away from God, and then all of a sudden trouble came, and apparently they cried out to God. You know what God's response was? Why don't you tell your idols? Ask them for help. I saw at least one person laughing. Thank you for getting my joke. <laughs> I think that's kind of, I mean, it's, it's startling, but it's, it reminds us of a very true thing, that we should be people who seek God. If, if we want him to listen to our prayers, we should be seeking him and living according to his ways. And if we do that, he does listen and answer. And I don't know what those answers will look like. Uh, I don't always know the mind of God, and sometimes his answers to our prayers are different than we might think, but I know that he will answer if we humble ourselves and seek him. So, application, because God answers his people, we should seek him. So again, do you regularly seek God? Do you eagerly enter into his presence throughout your day, wherever you are, whether you're at church or at home or at work or at school or with your family? Are you remembering God's presence with you and remembering to seek him and to live according to his ways? And if you do, you'll see God respond and answer your prayers. Then number seven, God forgives. 
verse 8 says, You were to Israel a forgiving God, though you punished their misdeeds. Uh, the second part of that verse could be translated a couple different ways. One, it could be saying that God punishes his people when they sin. Or it could be saying that God punishes other people when they sin against his people. Uh, but either way, God is the God of justice here. And once again, according to this verse, we have a couple of options of the way our lives could go. The first one is where we humble ourselves before God and we recognize our need for forgiveness. And this is where the gospel message is so amazing that, again, God knows all that we have done, including the sins that we have committed against him and against others. And in his love, he sent Jesus to forgive us so that any one of us who receives Jesus as Savior and Lord can be completely forgiven of all of our sins. And... It's not just that. It's also that we can be brought back into a restored relationship with God that will last for the rest of eternity. You see, God's heart's desire is to forgive sinners like you and me. He doesn't want us to be estranged from him forever. He wants us to come to him. God loves to forgive. And hopefully the cross is a great reminder of that for you, that God loves to forgive. But there's a worse option that we could choose. We could refuse to repent and refuse to come to Jesus. And if so, the Bible is very clear that God has wrath in store. We, we finished the book of Revelation here earlier this year, and in Revelation it was very clear that, that God has a perfect place in mind for his children to live with him forever. But there's also an eternal place of torment designed for Satan that, that he will send people to if they refuse him. But again, please know that God loves to forgive. His heart's desire is to show kindness to those who repent. So application, because God forgives, we should repent. And we should always be willing to repent. We should be in the lifelong habit of talking to God about our sins, regularly coming before him and saying, God, have I offended you in any way? God, show me my sin. And whenever we become aware of our sin, we should repent. And it saddens me to think that there are people out there who think that their sin has made God so angry at them that, that they should maybe just keep their distance. Think about that. In a human relationship, sometimes when, when you really messed it up with a person, sometimes you just think, oh, maybe I should just give them some space. And that space turns into years and years and years worth of space. And what happens to the relationship? It's almost non-existent. And I think that some people feel that way with God, that they, they know, oh boy, I have just really messed up and God must hate me and I'm just going to kind of give, give it some space. But that, that will not be good for your relationship with God. Because think about this. As we're there sinning and messing up, God is there waiting for us to repent. Pastor Josh talked about the prodigal son last week. And what was the response? You guys should know this. What was the response of the father when he saw his son coming home? Rejoiced. Rejoiced. What else did it say? He ran. The father ran to the son. What else? He embraced him. What else? Put a robe on him. What else? A part. Does that sound like a father who is really upset, who doesn't want his son to come back? No, our God loves it when we repent. In fact, repenting is one of the best ways that you can worship God. Now, I'm not suggesting that we go and sin intentionally so that we can then repent, but I'm suggesting that if you ever find yourself in a place where you have sinned against God, please know that you can worship Him by repenting. 
One of the one of the best ways to worship God. So are you good at repenting? We're all good at sinning. Are you good at repenting? Okay, so there you have it. Seven reasons that we can worship God. And there's many other reasons to worship God. These are just seven that I found in Psalm 99. I'm going to put them all on the screen right now. God is holy. God is exalted. God reigns as king. God is with us. God does what is just and right. God answers his people. God forgives. I want you to, for the rest of the sermon now, which will be coming to a close shortly, I want you to look at that list and pick out one or two of those that you can take with you this week. One or two of those that you can look at and say, yes, that will, that will help me worship God. The one that I'm thinking about is number two, God is exalted. Again, it, it, it can be easy for us to try to want to make a name for ourselves when really we should be making much of God's name. That we should be praising Him. So I want to I walk through my week this week not just thinking about the things that I want, not just living as if I'm the king and people should be serving me, I want to exalt the name of God in what I do this week. So what is it for you? Which one or two are you going to pick out? It's often been said that we will all worship someone or something. And as for me, I don't want to settle for worshiping anyone less than the holy, high, and exalted one. Let's let worship be our way of life. Let's stay close to God by worshiping him and thanking him throughout our days. And let me just give one other tip. This is kind of a, maybe an unrelated tip, but I just want to throw it in here because I think it might be helpful for some of you. I want you to think about the most difficult thing in your life right now. I want you to think about that, that part of your life that's not going well. Maybe it's a relationship that's strained. Maybe things at work or at school just aren't going very well. Maybe you hate showing up to work or to school. Or maybe you're struggling with some sort of emotion or something in your brain. Maybe it's loneliness Maybe it's anger, maybe it's lust, maybe it's impatience. Impatience. Is there something that keeps on popping up throughout your days and you just find yourself thinking, boy, I hate this. I don't want it to be like that. I want you to think about that thing that you struggle with the most right now and I want you to think about turning it on its head and looking at it as an opportunity for you to worship God. To trust that He is with you in the midst of that. To trust that He will give you the strength that you need in it. In the Old Testament, King David said, I will not offer sacrifices that cost me nothing. Um, as you think about that most difficult thing in your life, that, it will cost you something, but you can honor God with that sacrifice of praise by turning that into something that will give God glory instead of letting it be something that, that turns you into that downward spiral in, down in the dream. You can turn it upwards into something in which you give God glory. And I think that you'll see him not only transform your heart, but I think he'll give you joy in the midst of your difficulty if you look at it that way. It gives purpose to our difficulty. We have many reasons to worship God. Again, there's seven of them up there on the screen. Let's be people who worship him and give him glory and thanks and praise. Would you pray with me? Father, you are worthy as the, the high and exalted one, the holy one, our king. And we, we praise you that you are not only unique and separate, but that you are also with us. We thank you that you always do what is just and right, that you are loving toward all you have made. We thank you that you answer your people who seek you. 
and we thank you that you forgive us. God, may we be people who worship you with every part of our lives. God, help us as we go through this week to remember how we can do a better job of worshiping you. You are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.